Okay, um, let's get back to our study of the book of Romans and understand, guys, that we're, uh, this, is, this is towards the end of the book, as you know. But all of those great, rich, theological, huge things, they're gone. I mean, they're not gone, but they're, those are in previous chapters. He's wrapping up his book. And, um, and so he's telling you some things that um, don't have a whole lot of uh, theological import, but uh, do have some, some real application for the people of God, I think, and I trust. So let me read you three verses out of uh, chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. So here we go. Um, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, um, what possibly could we say about that for 35 minutes? Well, trust me, there's plenty. Um, these two verses, really verses 23 and 24, spell out uh, Paul's missionary plans and his desires for future missionary ministry uh, or evangelistic ministry. E- evangelism for the Apostle Paul was, was not something that he considered his duty. Um, it was his passion. And he, um, he loved taking the gospel to Gentile cities. And, and as he says in verse 16 and verse 20 uh, that we previously looked at, um, in verse 22, uh, which I read, he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What reason? What is the reason that he's been so often hindered? Well, um, that's given to you in verse 23. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, what does that refer to? That is reflective of verse 20 and the ambition that he states in verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, uh, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So what he's saying is, because, uh, look at, back to verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, the regions are mentioned um, uh, over uh, Illyrica, and it's, um, uh, um, he feels like the regions that he's covered, that he has done the very thing that he, which is his passion to do, he mentions it all the way from Jerusalem around to Illyricum, and since there's no more areas that are virgin territories, in essence, he says, um, I've been consumed with that. But now, in verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, because those have already been covered, at least in his mind. Um, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain um, and to be helped on my journey by you. So do you see what he's saying? Um, the, the way I do things is... Um, my, my evangelistic strategy is that I want to go where nobody else has gone. And so I've gone from there to there, and I've covered that hole. And since there's nowhere more areas over there for me to work, I'm going to head to Spain. And on my way to Spain, I plan to stop in and see you um, there at Rome. That's, that's pretty simply uh, what he's saying. Um, you, you can note that uh, just because he's finished in one area doesn't mean that he's ready to quit. In fact, he's got more plans. And um, he wanted to visit Rome, uh, but he didn't want to stay there because Rome was one of those places where the gospel all, already had taken root. But he was only going to come to Rome as a stopping off place on his way to Spain. By the way, there's no real evidence 
that Paul ever made it to Spain. There's a couple of extra biblical shreds uh, that indicate that he might have gotten there, but there's no real way to know um, um, that he ever got to Spain. But the, the impressive part is that he had a goal. He had an evangelistic goal. He had an evangelistic plan. Now, what is yours? Um, um, the timing of Paul's plans, he always left to God. But the, but the fact remains, he had a plan. You know, it's interesting um, that he, he wanted to get to Rome. And do you remember how he got there? <laughs> he got there as a prisoner after a shipwreck. I mean, who would have ever imagined that God would have accomplished getting, to go, you know, to, getting into Rome by, as a prisoner? Um, but, but the thing that I'm trying to underscore is, um, that he has a plan. I'm gonna come back there in just a second. I didn't want you to see one other thing, but it's really, um, in verse 25, he says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. We're going to look, come back to that next week. But the, the point I'm making is this. Even in Paul's evangelistic zeal, getting help to the poor was important enough for him to interrupt all of his evangelistic plans so that he could get that help to the poor. That's, that was interesting to me, that he was willing to set aside even evangelism, which was his love, so that he could get um, financial aid to the poor in Jerusalem. So, But now back to this thing about a plan, an evangelistic plan. Guys, um, uh, as most of you know, I, I came to know the Lord Jesus in 1970, and um, um, I was visited by a man by the name of Dr. D. James Kennedy. He was um, uh, he had a plan. He had a plan. It was called Evangelism Explosion. It was it was really really big uh, all over the world. Um, um, I became a trainer in Evangelism Explosion. I trained. Um, I trained pastors. I mean, Susie and I were, I guess I was 23 years old, and I was training pastors. I, uh, one guy, I think, was from Seattle, or he was from the Pacific Northwest someplace. He was a Lutheran. Um, and we trained this pastor how to do evangelism. Jim Kennedy had a plan, and the plan spread all over the world. It was called Evangelism Explosion. The, the Southern Baptists picked it up and renamed it, but it was basically what Jim Kennedy wrote. Um, when Gracie Van started... Um, we, we tried to use that plan and found it to be very ineffective. Um, we concluded, rightly or wrongly, um, that the culture had moved on. And the fact that somebody would show up on a doorstep, and not, uh, on a um, front porch, and knock and say, Hi, we're here from the church and we want to visit you, it was just repugnant. Um, uh, most frequently. And so it was doing more damage than it was doing good. And so... Um, that's what we concluded. Uh, we still conclude that. We still believe that it's a, it's, a, it's a plan that had its day. And it was a good plan. It was an effective plan. But it, it, just, um, it just is not effective anymore. Now, that's just our, my opinion. But it's, it's, I will say it's shared by the staff of uh, Grace Evangelical Church. And so we've been talking a lot about what kind of plan. What kind of plan uh, could we have? And um, uh, we, we just recently, um, 
this conversation has taken place amongst our staff with, with a great deal of um, passion. And some of it I brought as a result of reading this book. Um, I read this book, ladies and gentlemen, I finished it up while I was in India. And, you know, I told you about those trips out from the hotel to the, to the uh, compound, and it's about an hour-long drive, and yada, yada, yada. And I was in the back seat reading this book and was crying. Cried four times um, at places in this book. This is a woman... Um, uh, <laughs> Forgive me, I'm just going to read you some of the... Um, she was a professor. She was 37 years old at Syracuse University. Uh, she was recently tenured in the English department. You know what tenure does at the, at the uh, at university level. I mean, that's a big deal when you're tenured. Um, her primary field was critical theory, also known as postmodernism. My specialty... My specialty was queer theory a postmodern form of gay and lesbian studies. She was a lesbian. Um, She wrote an article uh, as a critique of promise keepers. Remember promise keepers? And it appeared in the Buffalo newspaper or the New York newspaper, something like that. And a pastor um, read it, her critique of uh, promise keepers, and and wrote her a, a very kind letter His name is Ken Smith. Um, It was a kind and an inquiring letter. It encouraged me to explore the kind of questions that I admire. Here were the questions that Ken Smith put to Rosario Champagne. Um, Here were the questions. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know that you are right? She said, those are the kind of questions that I wanted my students to ask. So... um, uh, she said she let that letter last for a long time, and finally she just couldn't get it off her mind, um, and she called him. We had a nice chat on the phone, and Pastor Ken invited me to dinner at his house to explore some of these questions. Um, almost as an afterthought, he said, if you're afraid to come to a stranger's home, uh, he and his wife would meet her at a restaurant. She thought that was uh, very considerate of him, almost chivalrous. I was comfortable in the idea of going to his house. So she went to his house. And they began to engage in discussions about the gospel over a very long period of time. Uh, I think it was two years. Am I close to right? I don't, I don't know. Two years. Um, that They invited her over, and then she would go, they would go to her house, and um, then they would go to some of her lectures. And eventually, this woman became a Christian. And she is now the wife of a Presbyterian minister, and I forget what, I think it's North Carolina, something like that, is the wife of a Presbyterian pastor, having coming out, had come out of lesbianism, and she was 37 years old. She, it, was, it was a lifestyle for her. The point of it was that the way that she was reached was through what we're calling just good old hospitality. Kindness. Interest, display of love for somebody, just good old hospitality. You don't have to be a theologian. My my point is, ladies and gentlemen, the Apostle Paul displays here that he's got a plan. What's your plan? What plan do you have? What I want to do tonight is that I I I want to try to help you develop a plan. 
And it's really kind of, um, it's, it's kind of around this whole idea of hospitality. Um, Kim, come here, dear. Um, she knows I was going to do this. She doesn't like it, but she at least knew I was going to do it. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to interview you. Okay, here. And so you can just respond to my questions. Okay, so we're in a meeting yesterday, and we're talking about this, this, this thing. We're talking about, I mean, Gracie Van doesn't have an evangelism program. I, I, have, a, I have a real conscience about not having that. So what are we doing? And so Kim, as a part of, in fact, you went out and got this book, did you not? And, and read this book. And by the way, I would encourage you to read it. And if it's offensive to you, then you need to grow up some. Because there's some pretty tough stuff in here. And, and um, it's just pitiful that this would be offensive. But it's, it's a lesbian who came to know the Lord. And so consequently, you can imagine some of the language that's going to be contained in here. But, but anyway, that said, Kim came up with a plan. Tell us about your plan. It has to do something to do with your cove. How many houses in your cove? 17. 17 houses in your cove. And you, you've, you found out what? I'm smack dab in the middle. And so, as a, they don't, and, and, and all those other 16 houses uh, are occupied by whom? Well, I've met probably six of those uh, families. Um, and, but from my observations, we have. Um, uh, non-practicing Catholics. Uh, on one side, I have an Indian family. On I'm not sure about the other side. They um, seem to be moral, regular people. And then um, past them, they're, they are probably Middle Eastern, Persian, some uh, something uh, Jewish. Um, if we go around the corner, I'm not sure here. I can you know kind of there's a black family down my street, um, another Indian family. This way, um, at the end of our street, not quite on our cove, Syrians. Um, I, I, you can't, just to say, you can't get more multicultural than in the middle of my cove. Okay, one of the things that's said about us here, out here, is that we're, we're so undiverse. And she's described 17 homes that she lives in and got everything from Persians to, uh, to Roman Catholics to a white little Protestant girl. Um, uh, now, and, and so what happened yesterday... Um, um, we were sitting in the meeting and your phone went off. Oh, yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Spring break and my kids are all over the place. Um, really, I have to go back just a tiny bit. And this is kind of around the time that he introduced this book to us. Um, my boys ride the bus. They go to Farmington and, um, and we live in the Houston middle, uh, neighborhood. So right, right, right there, right down the street. And, um, uh, around this time I was also at our, uh, Valentine's party at school and my son Ben had been talking about his friend Walid and they've been riding the bus together for Walid <laughs> Marabi and um and so he's Irish <laughs> he's the Syrian and um and he's been talking about him for about a year and a half um well I take that back. we've only been there a year but they've been riding the bus together for a while and um and so we've been talking about Wally and they've become buds they ride, ride the bus together they're in class together and um over Christmas Ben came home with a wadded up piece of paper that had their name Dima and a phone number on it and um, I stuck it, taped it up to my um, count, uh, one of the posts in my kitchen. I was like, I- I'm going to call. I'm, I'm going to call. Um, this was Waleed's mother. She had sent her cell phone um, to uh, home with Ben. But I was at the Valentine's party in February. I never called, of course. And um, 
And what was kind of overwhelming to me was that she was the one that approached me. She was the one that was warm and hospitable. She came up to me, hugged me and said, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. And I was really ashamed. I thought, "How shame on me that I was not the one that was extending Christ-like love to her. So anyway, so that was convicting. Then I read this book. And um, should I tell what my confession is? Should I confess? Yeah, you can. We like confession. <laughs> I read this book, um, have seen some other things, lots of things happen. And really, I came to the conclusion that basically um, the filters that I had built up in my life were very, came to the conclusion that I did not believe in the power of the transform, transforming power of the gospel. End of story. Um, my filters were very secure. I did not speak um, fluidly about the gospel as I should, um, as I did here at church or at home. Um, they went up very clearly when I was out anywhere else. So anyway, that was the conviction. And I feel like the Lord has used a million things, um, to change me in that. And so now, now I have a plan. Oh yes. Yesterday, Dima, she, uh, we've, uh, we've had Walid over. I've been in her home. She's precious and sweet, delightful. She texted me yesterday when it had been over. So he went over there and I got to meet her family. Her family's in town from Syria. They were delightful and precious, wonderful, warm people. Much nicer than probably my family would be. <laughs> and so yesterday, in, in the midst of all of your frustration and sin, you said... I said what? what does, do you want me to tell the plan? Is yeah. this, okay. <laughs> but quickly. I'm sorry. He told me this 20 minutes ago. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, so my plan. End of story. Very simple. It's not much of a plan except about a week and a half ago, the day we had Waleed over... Um, the Lord just convicted me and said, look, you've got this cove. And I counted all the street, all the houses. I went up the street and down the street and realized we have 17 houses. I went home, drew a picture of my cove, m- mapped out all the houses, and then found the directory of our neighborhood and started writing down all of the names of the families that are on our street. And basically all I'm saying, I'm committing to praying for each family as often as I remember and, um, and a lot of times like today, I gave one side to my daughter and one side I went with and I said, you pray on this side and I'll pray on this side. And, um, I am going, I am determined to just expect God to do big things I don't have any gifts I can share with them. Nothing special, but I'm decided I'll just bake cookies. <laughs> I wanted to get that bake cookies in. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay guys. Um, uh, that's a crummy plan, isn't it? I mean, uh, don't you think that's just a, uh, a no, I mean, just a nonsensical, uh, crummy plan? No, no, no. What plan do you have? That's my point. I'm not saying, you know, just the idea that we got, okay, I, I got 17 houses. And, I mean, guys, you don't have to be a theological wizard to do that. Obviously. Um, (laughs) uh, But what you have to have is some kind of sense of, oh. But guys, one of the things that she said is, you know, that I've I've really lost touch with with the whole transforming power of the gospel. And I think that's so true of us. I think part of our reluctance to do evangelism stems from our reticence to tell other people that they are wrong. I don't think you have to do that in supper number one. I think you have to communicate somehow that, you know, there is a, there's an interest that you have in, in being their neighbors or being who they, you know, by the way, this is a whole lot easier for you than it is for me. 
Preachers inviting people over is, I mean, that, that is, that, you can't do that. Um, but, but, but we're so reluctant to tell people that they're wrong, and that's the, that's the influence of relativism on all of us. And, and the, the, the whole idea that religion is private and, and subjective, and, and, and our religion is not to be foisted on anybody else. Ladies and gentlemen, if the gospel is true, then its claims are too important to withhold. Now, get a plan. Whatever you like. <laughs> it doesn't have to be 17 houses either. It can be one. And I want to tell you a story too that, um, <clears throat> that I hope will help. Because I'm just, I, what I'm trying to do is exhort us to get a plan, some kind of plan. Um, because Paul had one. <laughs> um, if you were in the second service um, Sunday, uh, I introduced a friend of mine, Roger McMurrin. Roger McMurrin, um, very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, in his world, he is the, he, he is at the top rung of his world. He is a, he is a conductor. He is a musician par excellence. He's a conductor. He's not like he doesn't play the guitar or a flute. He's, he's a conductor. And he is esteemed. He could write his ticket any place in the United States. Any place, any grand and glorious, uh, esteemed, um, uh, highfalutin, he could have it, whatever he wanted. He's, but 20 years ago, he felt led to go to, to Ukraine. Um, and so he has been in Ukraine for 20 years. Started this thing called Music Mission Kiev. We started, he started feeding the babushka. These, these uh, retirement age in, in the Ukraine is 55. And so these people, uh, they are shoved out onto the streets. They have no job. They get a hundred dollars a pension. $46 of that goes to the government for their flat. And then, so everything else has got to come out of that $54. And so Roger started feeding poor people is what he did. I think you might, maybe some of you went with me, but I went over there and uh, distributed the food to the, to the babushka myself. Uh, uh, Gracie Van, I, I forget how many pair, let's say 100 pair of shoes we bought. And I sat on the, 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 the sidewalk and tried to get a pair of shoes on this big, fat, old woman's filthy feet. And they had a picture of me sitting there trying to get this boot on this lady's foot. It was, but I mean, that's, that's all Roger's ministry. Music Mission Kiev. He starts with music. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I would love to... Well, I am going to spend the rest of our time, and I wish I had more time to tell you some of the stories that he told me about the things that happen. Um, he's going to Kyrgyzstan, um, Bishkirk, um, and, you know, in these former Russian cities, the, the most beautiful building in the whole city is the concert hall. So, I mean, these concert halls all over the former Soviet Union are just glorious. And so <clears throat> they have this thing uh, that they're going to do. And the, the head of the concert hall calls Roger and says, I'm sorry, you can't come. You're being sponsored by a Baptist group, and we're not going to let a Baptist group. We're atheists here in this country, and we're not going to let Baptist group. Actually, this was a woman that called him. And he said, he said to this woman, he said, okay, um, how about this? Uh, what if I only bring atheists and agnostics in my, in my orchestra and choir? Can I come? And so she said, I'll talk to my boss. And so, you know, the, the boss calls back and allows him to come. But the problem is, now he shrunk his, his, his choir uh, down to, I think, 12 people. Or maybe it was 16. He needs some more voices. So he goes over to Kyrgyzstan like two months before the big concert. 
and he starts going around to bars. Bars, ladies and gentlemen. And, find, you know, oh, give me another drink, you know, of vodka. Give me some vodka. And, and, he, and anyway, he, he finds these people who are drinking in the bars. He offers them a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks to come uh, practice for six weeks, six uh, rehearsals a week. Um, yeah, six rehearsals a week for six weeks and a hundred bucks. They leap at it. So he gets all these bar-going atheist Kyrgyzstanis, I don't even know what they're called, uh, in his choir. And so Jonathan Todd and Layla, we, uh, who is our missions pastor, I wanted him to meet Roger. So we took Roger and Diane out to supper Saturday night. So we're at Jim's Place Grill. You know, nice little place. And, you know, it's six of us and we're having supper. And the place is, there's not a, there's not a vacant table in the place. It's packed. And so Roger is telling us all these things that's going on and he's got a Mac. A, a, a computer, a, a Mac thing, you know, a, a laptop, a, whatever they call it, um, a Mac lap, a uh, small one. Uh, what do they call it? A MacBook. Uh, yeah, one of those. Anyway, he's got all these kind of pictures in it that he's, he, and, and, and let me tell you, if you know anything about Roger, he is going to show you what he wants to show you. And uh, in fact, Layla Todd, uh, in the midst of Roger just going nuts, um, says, hey, Jimmy, I've never met anyone with a bigger personality than you, but him. I mean, anyway, he's showing me all this stuff, and he's showing Jonathan, Layla, and Susie, and we're all looking at this stuff. And he says, "Look, I got to show you this." Anyway, he goes back to this concert where the guy says, "Oh, you got to, you can only bring atheists and um, and agnostics in there." And so he 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 shows us a picture of, I mean, it's a video of a of a scene from this concert, and it's one of these guys that he found in a bar, a tenor singing a a a, a piece from Handel's Messiah. Now, I don't know which part, but I'm just going to make up one which part it was. You know, for unto us a child is born. You know, this great Christian music and this, this, um, this tenor that he found in a bar is belting out this, this glorious piece of Christian music. And this guy is world class. One of the finest... Anyway, Roger's got his MacBook up there, and he's got the volume cranked up as high as he can get it. And everybody in the restaurant are... This lady next to us says, what you got going over there? And I said, he's drunk. (laughs) I did. I said, he's drunk. Uh, Roger's just going berserk all over the restaurant. Mm -hmm. I said, turn it down, Roger. Turn it down. No, he's not turning it down. Okay, Roger, that's plenty. That's enough. I don't want to see anymore, Roger. No, I'm going to see all of it. I mean, I don't know how many minutes it was. It seemed like 45, but I think it was about three. Um, But he's got this thing just going wide open, and this this tenor is just going, and Roger is just, look at this, look at this. And the people are just, "Mm," you know, what's going over there on that table? And so finally he gets finished. And then he carries on a con- oh oh when the when the tenor's singing he turns to this woman in the next table and he says it's a concert in Kyrgyzstan that we sang Handel's Messiah and Lay said oh okay well thanks uh, you know um, just just everybody's in there look at that drunk guy over there you know anyway he, he's just story after story of all these things that God had done by the way I should have said this at the beginning Roger is very um, focused, very focused on the gospel, on doing evangelism. 
And when we left there, we left, it was, our reservation was 5.30. We left about 7.30. Um, I, I said to Susie this. I said, you know, um, oh, in fact, in the middle of it, when he's got, no, you know, and the, and the people are looking around. Uh, Diane, his wife, said, I told you, Roger, that you were going to embarrass him. <laughs> and, and Roger says, oh, he's not embarrassed. He's not embarrassed. Just, oh, you know? And I was embarrassed. You know, I just stopped this. And, and I drove away from there. And I, and, and I was just, you know, kind of trying to just evaluate the night. And I said this to Susie. I said, you know, one of the reasons that I think Roger is so bold about the gospel is that he has seen so he has seen God show up so many times in so many strange ways that it has assured him that this gospel changes people's lives. You and I have lost that. In that concert in Bishkirk, Roger was told not to open his mouth. He was told not to do anything. You know, he said, no, we, we're atheists, communists. Roger comes out. Roger's a nice looking guy. He's 73, I think. He comes out in his tux and he says um, to this, he said, a packed audience, concert hall, packed. And he says to them, I say to you, what the author of this music, Gregor Handel, I think it is his name, Handel said when he wrote it. In fact, I think, I think he wrote it in like 42 minutes or an hour and 42 minutes or something. All the whole Messiah. He wrote it in just this record time. And uh, I didn't know that Handel said this. And, and uh, Handel said, it was as if I was visited by God. And so Roger comes out and he says, um, as Handel said when he wrote this, it was as if I was visited by God. And my prayer tonight is, we too shall be visited by God. And turns around and wham! That's in an atheistic country um, dealing with atheists and agnostics when he was told to keep his mouth shut and never say anything it wasn't Riverdale school you see I, I hope you see my point I think one of the things that we're missing is a real confidence as Kim said in God and his gospel you know Paul opened the book of Romans by saying I am not ashamed of the gospel and you know what neither is Roger Sometimes I am. And that shame locks your jaws, doesn't it? And so there's two things I, I want to say to you. First of all, number one, I think we need a plan. But secondly, you're going to have to put yourself in a place where you're going to see God show up. And when you've seen it again and again where he has honored faith, 
again and again, then, then you come to the conclusion that you're not talking about pie in the sky by and by. You're talking about a real God who did a real thing in time and space to save you from your sin. And he will do that for Muslims in Kyrgyzstan. Or he'll do it for Syrians in Germantown. Or he'll do it for lapsed Catholics in Cairoville. But we've lost that, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why our silence is a guilty one. So I'm suggesting two things. Um, somehow you're going to have to put yourself in a context where, I mean, I would love to say it's a missions trip, but ladies and gentlemen, it does not have to be a missions trip. It doesn't have to be a missions trip. I, I got to tell you this. I got, oh gosh, it, I'm going I'm to tell this quick story and I'm done. But guys, this is the kind of stuff, and, I, and I've told this story before, but if you haven't heard this story, it's a good story. It's a long story, but I'll make it quick. I told this yesterday to the staff. The, um, Susan and I are in Budapest, and um, we hadn't been there long, but her mother comes to see us. Joy, joy. Um, uh, but uh, we had to go pick her up at the airport. Well, you, you drive into the airport. It's called Farragie in Budapest. The airport's called Farragie. And all of the, all of the, the signs there in the, in the airport are written in Hungarian. Can you imagine that? And, I, I mean, they could at least have written them in American, so I could have read them, you know? Um, but they didn't, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, I, uh, you, you can go down here or you can go up here. And so I drove up Susie, let Susie out of the car, and she went in to get her mother. This was, this was like um, a little over a year after 9-11. Before she got, well, no, she got in the door. Before I could drive off, I was surrounded by four uh, Hungarian soldiers carrying big old bad machine guns. And they get out of the car. Um, we want, the, you know, they started demanding papers. And so I, by God's sweet kindness, I had, um, I had all my papers. Um, so I gave them all the papers and I just, oh, you know, I just made a little mistake here, you know, and, and, and then one guy that spoke a little English came in, you see that camera up there? He said, um, uh, this is a very serious breach of security here at the airport or something like that. He said, we're, we're going to have to take you to jail. I said, well, now this is getting pretty serious. Um, and, you know, Susie's still in there looking for her mother. I mean, she didn't hear any of this. And so, um, um, so he, I said, well, you know, all I was trying to do is, you know, I didn't know. I couldn't read the signs. I'm an American. You know, I don't speak your language. And, you know, anyway, so um, then he goes back and he talks to his other three guys. And he comes over and he says, well, okay, um, we think we'll fine you. I don't know how he said it, but, you know, and I think it was five or 6,000 forints, which wasn't that much money. It was like 50 bucks. And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> give me my passport back and I'll give you a hundred bucks. You know, just, um, just let me get out of here. And so I said, fine, I understand. This is a terrible thing that I've done. I'm really sorry. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, um, uh, then he goes back to his buddies and he, and, um, he talks a little bit more to his buddies and then he comes back to me. And he stands me from, and he's, and he's in this military uniform with this big old machine gun. And he looks at me and he clicks his heels. And he says, Sir, you are a gentleman. And hands me my passport back and says, Good night. Do you know what that was, ladies and gentlemen? That was God. He showed up 
to deliver me from a little sticky little situation. And the more you taste that, the more you say, Hey, can I show you my tenor that I just, uh, you know, uh, I don't care about you people eating. Can I, can I show you this? But because we haven't seen that, we've lost our confidence in God and his gospel. And then on top of that, we don't have a plan. I'm pleading for you. Get a plan and find some way where you're cut loose from all of your little support systems. And where you've got to lean on God and God only. Go do something like that. And I'm telling you. Uh, you'll want more of it, I promise. Our Father, um, forgive us that as uh, Kim has confessed her sin, we confess ours. We're all guilty of the same thing, Father. We've all, um, we've all allowed the culture to shut us up. And part of it is um, we live such predictable, um, uh, vanilla lives that we don't see you much or very often. Routine is just about all we see. So, Father, um, thank you for the, uh, the, um, the privilege that is ours. Would you, would you forgive us that that privilege has become, for many of us, an embarrassment? And um, would you help us formulate a plan and then uh, remind us uh, that the God of all grace uh, will show up exactly when he needs to. And we pray it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.